0: Welcome to The Lisa Show, where we take a good look at life. Hey, it's Lisa, and this is episode one of our caregiving series, which has really been a long time coming. If you're new here, I'm Lisa Valentine Clark. I am a widow, a single mom to five kids, teenagers and young adults. Um, I'm also a believing Christian. I'm an extrovert, a positive realist. I'm a blue on the color code test. And over my career, I've been a teacher, a writer, an actor um, who does improvisation, TVs, and movies. Now, caregiving is a wide topic. Just in this series, we're going to be talking about parenting, Alzheimer's, autism, illness, disability, death. Even with that, it feels like we're barely scratching the surface because there's so many types of caregiving experiences. Let me tell you a little bit about mine. Five years ago, in the summer of 2018, I started this podcast. At the time, I was a new caregiver for my husband, the distinguished Dr. Christopher Clark, for who about two years had been living with ALS, which is a neurodegenerative disease with a life expectancy of two to five years. Christopher passed away at home the summer of 2020 at the height of the global pandemic. My personal caregiving experience was extreme. I felt like I could never catch up, be enough, get enough help. The stakes could not be higher. And yet, it was the most transformative, I mean, one of my dearest life's purposes. For me, it was a total experience. It was all things overwhelming, wonderful, devastating, intimate, frustrating, loving, connecting, and isolating. And I knew I would have to talk about it someday. But for years after he passed, I was just too close to it and I had no perspective. Now, three years after his passing, and seeing my friends and family go through a lot of extreme caregiving situations as well, I feel very passionately that it's time to start talking about this thing that most of us will experience in our lifetimes, which can be overwhelming to understand completely, and which has the power to positively or negatively change our lives and families. It's time to talk about caregiving. If you're listening to this, I figure it's for one of three reasons. Either you're already part of the Lisa Show family and you're in it with me to tackle these topics that we talk about with our closest friends, the stuff that makes it easier to take life as it comes, be our best selves, and find the joy. Or maybe you're here for the first time because you have a special interest in caregiving. And the third category is, you're my mom. Hi, Shauna. Thank you for listening. She listens to every episode. She's the best. So whatever brought you here, to the beginning of this season where we're going to explore the ins and outs of caregiving in so many different aspects, I feel compelled to say that this series is built with everyone in mind. If you've been in the middle of a caregiving situation, you know that no one talks about this enough. And if like me and so many others, a caregiving role was thrust upon you suddenly and you didn't see it coming. You know the overwhelm of having to learn information and skills faster than humanly possible. I wish that before my caregiving journey began, I could have had an inkling of the perspective I have now. Some things I couldn't understand until I learned them hands-on. But there were other things, surprises, that didn't have to be surprises. If I could spare anyone the experience I had of just having to fumble in the dark, I would want that preparation to start as soon as possible, before caregiving was even on the radar. We've titled Episode 1, Everyone Has a Stake in the Caregiving Conversation. Because when it comes to caregiving, either you're in it now or someone close to you is in it now. And if not, then soon. That probably sounds like a hyperbole, but statistics say otherwise. All of us are extremely likely to encounter caregiving in a profound and personal way. In this episode, we're exploring some of the lesser known impacts of caregiving on families and our society as a whole, and why talking about it matters. Not just to the people in the trenches, but to everyone. You're also going to hear about one of the biggest paradigm shifts I've had toward the impact of caregiving on my life. To kick us off, I invited sociologist Lance Erickson to paint a picture of caregiving in our society and what makes this topic so universal. To do that, we have to look at social roles, especially in the family.
1: So when you get married, you become a spouse, a husband or a wife, and that is a social role. While we all do husband and wife differently, there is some shared expectations that come along with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you have a child, you become a mother or father, and those have roles with them as well. Parenting is caregiving, but we don't think of it as caregiving. We think of it as parenting. It only transitions into caregiving when there is something out of the ordinary that happens with the child or with the relationship.
0: Okay, I just have to pause here because this is such an interesting point, that parenting is technically caregiving, but we don't call it that unless there are extenuating circumstances. It's just kind of funny to me because, yeah, the 24-7 responsibility, the evolving needs and stages of life, and the extreme nature of the job to love and nurture another human, I mean, that's caregiving. And it's parenting in a nutshell. And maybe it's just because we're desensitized to parenting as a society that we don't lump the two in together in our definition of what caregiving is. I'm glad we're touching on this now because whether you're a capital C caregiver or a primary caregiver to a child, those experiences have a lot in common. It's one of the reasons why I believe everyone needs to have this conversation. But I digress.
1: We were talking about social roles. and so. As we think about these roles and how it defines our relationship to other people, uh, when somebody needs care, the reason why we call it care is because something went wrong with that social role. Hmm. Aren't we supposed to care for our spouses and care for our children and care for our siblings and care for our parents? Like that's part of what defines who we are as humans. So it almost could be weird that we. Name something as caregiving, but it is because something has gone wrong. There's something extra that needs to be done.
0: The extra that Lance is talking about here is where the rubber meets the road. When something goes wrong, who's going to do that extra? Social roles do more than define what caregiving is. According to the research, they also have a way of determining on whose shoulders the burden of care will fall.
1: We know that there are gender roles and We typically expect women to do different things than men. Now, men and women's roles have gotten to be closer in the last number of decades, but we still have some different expectations. And this plays a part in caregiving. In particular, women are expected to be caregivers. It happens with children, right? We talk about parenting, but we think of mothering and fathering often as qualitatively different things. And because mothers typically do the nurturing part of, of parenting, or at least that's kind of the expectation that we've had for centuries, perhaps, that carries over into other family relationships. And so, so women are most often caregivers because of those social expectations.
0: This comparison that Lance just made really stands out to me. How would most people define the word mothering? it's a different image that comes up than when you think of fathering, right? There are your expectations right there. But Lance pointed out how even beyond the context of parenting, these different definitions affect the way society perceives caregiving as a whole.
1: Yeah, I think most often we maybe think of interpersonal issues and the difficulties that come with being tied down to somebody and not being able to get a break and how difficult that can be. And I think Mother Shirley... Parents, uh, you know, some fathers Mm -hmm. invest in their kids the same level that that mothers do, and it can be exhausting. Kids, right, and and the thing about being a mother is you're never off the clock.
0: Yeah, and you're never not a mother.
1: You're never not a mother. Fathers, on the other hand, they seem to get a break from their job as a father. And so I'm sure most women, uh, at least mothers, probably understand what that's like. And it it is exhausting. So we typically think of that.
0: Ugh, what Lance is saying here about expectations, roles in the family, and the exhaustion of 24-7 caretaking. I mean, this feels familiar, right? But it turns out that's just the beginning of why women end up shouldering so much of this role alone.
1: Now, there's other issues about gender and demographics. Women tend to live longer than men. Men are often framed as the stronger sex, yet... Men are more likely to die at birth and more likely to die throughout their lives. So the average age of death for men is a couple years younger than women, and this is constant from throughout pretty much every society that we have data on and so older couples, if they stay married into later life, the men are most likely going to be the ones that get sick and need the kind of care support that that couples can give each other, and the women are the ones that are doing it and what that means then, is that women are primary caregivers most often for men. Men die while women then are on their own, and women at some point are going to face very similar issues where they're going to need support and help, and they don't have a partner to help them. Those are very general patterns, and there's obvious exceptions where women die before men, and men, men care for women, and some, some valiantly so, um, but on average, it's the women that are caring for the men.
0: I appreciate Lance bringing this up. It's sobering to think that women who do so much of the caregiving in our society are also at the most risk for not having an immediate caregiver available to support when the time comes. As we were doing our own research for this episode, we found some of the statistics that Lance is talking about. According to the CDC, one in four women and one in five men are caregivers. That difference is striking, but so is just the sheer amount of people. One in five? As the baby boomer generation ages, it's expected that seven years from now, we'll need nearly double the caregivers we needed seven years ago. This touches every community, and every family. That's just one of the reasons why it's so important to have this conversation now. So for those who are already immersed in caregiving, this conversation has a lot of value too. I want to introduce you to Dr. Natalie Edmonds, a psychologist who works especially with caregivers.
2: I'm Natalie Edmonds. I am a board-certified psychologist And professionally, I worked a lot with caregiving just from the hospital setting, working with patients and then starting my own company called Dementia Care Blazers. Personally, I cared for my mom who passed away about a year ago, June 2022, and currently caregiving for my dad who's in a skilled nursing facility right now after a bad fall. And so I have a bit of the professional side as well as the personal side.
0: With this mix of personal and professional experience, Natalie knows firsthand how caregiving impacts individuals and families, and why it's so critical that we start talking about it more.
2: Whether you're not already or you haven't already, you will likely find yourself in some sort of caregiving role. That's just going to happen with aging loved ones, loved ones getting sick. I specialize in the field of dementia. The number of people getting dementia is rapidly increasing. And so just the likelihood that you will find yourself in some form of caregiving role is pretty high. So it's important that we talk about caregiving. But also, I talk to thousands and thousands of caregivers and all of them tell me they feel so alone. They feel like some of the challenges they're going through, the thoughts they have in their head, they feel bad for having, they feel guilty for having, and they don't realize they are not alone there's lots of people out there going through similar things and once they start connecting with those people and start chatting simply realizing oh wow other people are going through this in some ways can be comforting to know that there's a community out there who can get it who can understand um, who can offer input or just listen and truly understand what you're going through
0: I can vividly remember the loneliness that Dr. Edmonds is describing here, including the guilt I felt for thoughts or feelings that I thought I shouldn't have or just assumed I was the only one experiencing. Jeremy Jorgensen explained why this is such a universal experience for caregivers.
3: There can be a steep learning curve. Many caregiving situations start very gradually. Mm -hmm. And so, in fact, caregivers oftentimes don't even think of themselves as a caregiver. I'm just a spouse. I'm just a child. So um, one of the big transitions that we see when caregivers start out, they're doing things that are called instrumental activities of daily living that are things like paying bills, purchasing groceries, cooking food, cleaning, and those kinds of things. When you transition from those types of care to more personal care like, bathing or clothing or brushing teeth or feeding and those kinds of things, the care is much more intense. And so one of the things that caregivers, oftentimes they find themselves, they feel an obligation to provide all of the care. Caregivers can become isolated, they can become lonely, and oftentimes they start to disregard their own care in terms of sleep, nutrition, exercise, and social activities.
0: These additional side effects that Jeremy is mentioning—the self-neglect, the overwhelm, and the scope creep of caregiving—so much of it is tied back to isolation and loneliness. It's such a common theme in the conversations I've had about caregiving that we're dedicating a whole episode to it later in the series. But I want to highlight this now because of something Natalie Edmonds mentioned about loneliness in her own story, which made it different from every other person I've heard in this caregiving space.
2: I feel like for me, I didn't have too much loneliness. And I think a big part of that is because I have a big caregiving company. I'm talking to caregivers every day. We're on a personal level. We're in our own support groups. We're in our Q&A. So I feel like when caregiving on a personal level came into my life,
0: I had a huge community around me. Did you catch that? Because Natalie had a community and these ongoing dialogues already in place, it kept the immense loneliness that comes with caregiving at a minimum for her. That's why this conversation is so important to everyone. It's never too early and never too late to build the network that will keep us from slipping into our own little isolated corners when we make these transitions. Some of the pain and difficulty in caregiving is just inevitable. But this part doesn't have to be if we start talking about it in real concrete terms. I asked Lance Erickson to explain some of the other side effects of caregiving that we needed to be talking about, and the conversation quickly turned to money.
1: Other issues that happen in terms of timing, as, as people approach retirement, you know, most of us have or should have plans for retirement in terms of having our finances organized, and that's typically based on some kind of financial calculation. Well, if somebody gets sick before that happens, that could lead to an increased caregiving burden for a spouse. Full-time caregivers are very likely not going to be full-time employed as well. Um, And so people are sometimes faced with making these decisions that they don't want to that they're not financially prepared for but they may not have any options because bringing in a full-time caregiver if that's the need or even part-time caregivers can be quite expensive Um, and having somebody go into a care center is upwards of $100,000 a year or more uh, depending on the level of care.
0: Now, this is another thing that we have to come back later in the series because there's a lot to unpack. But Lance's point that not planning can leave us vulnerable, this is another reason to talk about it now. Caregiving doesn't just cost money. It draws from the same pool of time and effort that for most of us is how we're making a living. Lance pointed out, even apart from the financial implications, there's a domino effect to mental health when we have to make big changes affecting career and lifestyle to meet the demands of caregiving, especially if we didn't see it coming.
1: It often is one of the more important ways that we think about ourselves and who we are. And so if we're anticipating a transition somewhere in the future, and that hits us all of a sudden when we're not expecting it, that can have um, some psychosocial implications. It can, it can create some anxiety, It can cause some difficulties and that's over and above the financial strains that come along with it. It's just, I'm not who I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I'm doing something different than I anticipated and we could do that willingly out of love to care for the other person, but that doesn't mean that it hasn't changed in sometimes a dramatic way who we see ourselves as. And those changes when they're unexpected can be hard to manage.
0: I remember this experience, coping with what felt like a new identity. Like Lance is saying, you can willingly want to care for someone out of the love you have for them and still experience this strange personal disorientation of who am I now that this is our life. That feeling is related to one of the biggest changes I've experienced during this period of my life. If you had asked me before my husband got sick, before I had even thought about any of this, where would you be in five years or 10 years or 20? I could have told you. We were like a bullet train, speeding off to success and happiness. Our lives were full. Christopher was a professor. I was doing TV. Both of our careers were taking off. We had five kids living at home, some about to finish high school, We all had this kind of momentum. We were going places. I knew who I was. I knew our life goals. I knew what to expect. And I knew what the future held for us. And then I didn't. When Christopher received a terminal diagnosis, suddenly I couldn't see the tracks anymore. It didn't make sense. Chris had just gotten tenure. I had helped put him through a master's program and a doctorate program that was going to pay off later. <laughs> Joke's on me. I was quickly promoted from backup provider to full provider. I was about to be promoted again to single mama five, but there was scarcely any time to think about it because in the meantime, my routine, my role, my everyday life was transformed. Transforming as I became Chris's caregiver. And despite us having jumped the tracks, if you will, from our trajectory as a normal family, life was not slowing down. It actually felt like we were picking up speed, but without the excitement that used to come with it. There was no telling what the next stop would be, no guarantee that we wouldn't plunge over the side of a cliff or at any moment. Everything changed. I changed. When Christopher passed away... I came to a full stop. The train blew up, or maybe the tracks disintegrated, or the bridge was out, or I mean, maybe I was supposed to be the bridge that was going to carry us over this gaping canyon. I, I And I buckled. I don't know. Metaphors aren't really my strong suit. And there's no way to really describe that experience. Whatever happened, I was now lying somewhere in the debris of what used to be my engine car, just wondering if space and time really existed. That's what it was like. For a long time, I felt like what happened to my family was a cruel, nightmarish detour that interrupted our lives. Three years later, my perspective is different. As I've had time to process some of the grief and look back, I'm able to appreciate more that being my husband's caregiver was one of the most precious and sacred experiences of my life, a highlight. It was the culmination of everything our family was founded on, this promise to love and be there no matter what happened. And I can't imagine anything from our perfect family life trajectory that would be more meaningful to me now than the opportunity to express my love for Christopher in his most vulnerable moments, to the end, sparing no sacrifice. Earlier, we talked about how parenting and caregiving have so much in common, and I want to take advantage of that similarity for a moment. I think most parents would agree that raising a child is one of the hardest things you can do while also being one of the most rewarding. Your kids can't understand the magnitude of what you do for them. They might not even like you. They'll total your car, they'll forget your birthday, they're expensive and exhausting, and that's okay because it was never about getting something back. It was always worth it anyway because you love them. That love gives life meaning, whether or not it's returned. When you feel like a victim and that everything is falling on you, it becomes difficult to see the situation of caregiving objectively. But what I know now is that two opposite things can exist at the same time. Caregiving can be challenging, painful, and overwhelming, And it can be meaningful, beautiful, and sacred. Caregiving is not a detour from life. This is life at its most poignant and potent. It has given me purpose and meaning and a richer experience of love, of being human that I had never known before. I want to leave you with something that Jeremy Jorkison shared about this unsuspecting aspect of caregiving.
3: Some people suggest that everyone should get a chance to be a caregiver because relationships change and it can be a real blessing in a relationship to be able to care. You can grow in ways that you can't grow in other ways and grow closer. And so um, I would say, you know, we're not trying to avoid becoming caregivers and it's not this terrible thing. It is very hard and it's a lot of work, but it's it's a special thing too it's a crucible that can bring couples together in ways that that they couldn't come together in some other way. Oh, yeah. So I would say, you know, if you think you might have a caregiving situation in the future, if it's feeling like it's moving that way, embrace that and look forward to it and then find resources out there. There are so many resources in the community uh, and even online or reading or things like that And this could be a a wonderful opportunity.
0: At this point in my life, I don't know what's coming next. And to be honest, I probably don't want to know. But I embrace that more of these opportunities to care and love and nurture are right around the corner. And that even though it isn't going to be easy, none of the sweetest, most valuable things in life have ever been easy. You don't have to see the light at the end of the tunnel for it to be there. And you will never regret going the distance. Wherever you are in your caregiving journey, I hope you will hold on to that spark of hope that there is joy coming, that this is your best life and not a detour from it. And that now that you're here with us, you will never have to do it alone. The Lisa Show is a production of BYU Radio, hosted by Lisa Valentine Clark, and produced by Becca Hurley and McKay Mendon, with help from Avery Stoneley and Michael Combs, and post-production and music by Gracie Davis. Dr. Natalie Edmonds is the founder of Dementia Care Blazers, and you can find out more about her work and links to resources on our website. To connect with us about this episode, please join our listener community on Facebook. We'll be hosting additional conversations there, along with more opportunities to share and find resources.